Hi, I am Michael. I am a successful, unsuccessful, and successful again small business owner. Not quite in that order. I'm an improv artist, a bit manic, and always looking for something new and interesting to entertain me. I have a TV host and your host right now for what we call the Second Scene Podcast, a dweebs global production where we interview people you know about things that they're not necessarily known for. So I'm here today with Arash Shirazi, who is a very successful business owner, having started the Bullet Agency from the ground up with offices around the world, recently being recognized as a leading entrepreneur by Fast Company Magazine, Profiled in Inc., The Washington Business Journal, Men's Health, Huffington Post, and that's just to name a few. His second scene includes producing documentaries, being a social influencer and tastemaker, along with his beautiful wife, and now dealing with his business suddenly changing under the COVID epidemic, uh, something a lot of us can relate to. So, Arash, thank you for being now, here. one of your closest friends since seventh grade. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We'll put that disclaimer out. We have known each other for quite a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't see each other as much anymore because, you know, life happens. It's very 2020, right? It takes a Zoom call for us to catch up. Yes, yes. Arash was in my one car accident. When I had Ooh, my I still remember that. Yeah, you were in the back seat, and then you were in the front seat. In the Honda Prelude. Yeah. I was more upset about the Honda than like my knee that like smashed into the. <laughs> or, like, oh. I was like, "Is the Honda okay?" <laughs> Do you still have lingering knee problems from the <laughs> from the debt? I remember us being like, "Is the is the car okay?" And you all were like, "Yeah," but I could tell that like the lights that flip up and down were oh, yeah. kind of, like all wavy. <laughs> <laughs> So we both grew up just outside of Washington, D.C. Uh, where's your family originally from? So we're originally from Tehran, Iran. And um, we came to the U.S. during the Iranian Revolution. My dad was getting his Ph.D. from American University. Uh, this was a little bit before all of that happened in, in the country, um, all of the kind of political chaos. And we came here and it was temporary. And then suddenly things kind of fell apart in Iran and got precipitously worse. And then we said, okay, well, hopefully this will be over in a year. And a year turned into two and three and five. And then we're like, okay, I guess, you know, this is where we're staying. So, I mean, it was definitely a challenging time. And I can't imagine what it's like for my parents because going to a foreign country and just assimilating with two, you know, with two kids with no family around. I mean, I, I, more, you know, I, now that I'm older, I kind of understand and appreciate and respect that second scene and the, you know, that they were pushed into. Um, they, they had to grow up young. I yeah. Mean, yeah. We'll get yeah. we'll into how, where you went, but you grew up young as well with what you did. Yeah. Um, maybe that was bred into you somehow from what they went through. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we ended up staying and um, I had a pretty, you know, good childhood. I mean, we went to, you know, good school and had good friends and you know I stuck around and went to Maryland and yeah we lived in a, a normal neighborhood with normal <laughs> normal I would call everyone more. there are some people that aren't so normal <laughs> <laughs> well that, that's come out in other in other podcasts I've yeah. done people people are slowly learning about the non-normalness of, of my world so you went to University of Maryland you said mm-hmm and then when did you went to work for the Speakers Bureau, what is the Speakers Bureau? So I worked actually, so I did a double major in international business and marketing at Maryland. Um, I really always loved journalism and I'd gone into Maryland, I think a few credits ahead or I took AP classes in high school. So you ended up having 
some credits when you went into university. And um, so I, I did the business degree in the last year I did journalism, which I loved and a professor who, um, who was uh, a professor of my journalism class said, why aren't you in journalism? Why are you doing business? And I said, well, you know, I don't know about journalism right now. And um, I, I just feel like I have more options with a business degree. He encouraged me to kind of explore journalism. So I ended up working at Discovery Channel and I worked at CNN supporting report. I mean, it was doing nothing, making videos and supporting journalists, but I didn't like the constant sitting around. I was kind of too bored. <laughs> I needed movement. Um, and uh, I was offered a job, which paid, I don't know, in like Kentucky or somewhere. And, you know, they offered me like 15,000 a year. And I just, I, I, it wasn't a money thing. It just wasn't a second scene that I wanted to, <laughs> a first scene rather. Uh, so I um, ended up going over and working at a speakers bureau that represented um, people in the news media who give public speeches. And I learned a lot with the president of that company. His name is Mark French. He's now recently passed away. Um, and he kind of took me under his wing and he showed me um, how to manage clients, develop clients. And, and then I ended up with an account of former heads of state, best-selling business authors, um, people that you see on like NBC News and CNN. And that was fun. I, I enjoyed that. And, and then I moved into music from there. Like what brought you into music? It's weird. When I think about it now, maybe I was an early adopter, but I was always the guy that was like, oh, check out like the Beastie Boys. Oh, check out like this band. Check out this party. This new club is opening, you know. You did. You were always on top of that. Okay. I remember that specifically from, I think, one of our, our, our senior year trips. Yeah. Even I, the parties, it was like, oh, th this guy's having a party tonight. Let's all go there. I was, I think I was like Facebook before there was Facebook, you know, people would <laughs> hit me up my, you know, and say, where's everyone going tonight? What's the plan? You know, what's going on? So, um, yeah, so I just felt like it was in the cards for me. And, um, and my brother is one half of this music DJ production duo called Deep Dish. Mm -hmm. And they asked me to take over. Uh, their bookings. And um, I didn't really know anything about it at the time. I didn't realize, well, at the time, you know, electronic dance music was in the embryonic stage. It was not like the David Guetta, Calvin Harris kind of mega, you know, industry that you see now. But I, I did it and I didn't know anything about it. And I just kind of jumped into it and learned head on. I don't think even I don't think a lot of people even today realize how big of a scene that is and how big of a business. Dude, it's a multi multi billion dollar business. It supports so many jobs, so many industries. Um, I've been speaking not publicly a lot about this, but actually just um, whether it's on social media or I guess I'm a thought leader in this business because I've been in the business for for so long. But it's a multi million dollar business, and when you, when you consider it a job multiplier and the number of jobs in the hospitality industry and entertainment, arts, accounting, I mean, just the whole industry supports so many other jobs. It's important. It's an important industry. You mentioned your brother started Deep Dish. I don't know if a lot of people know who Deep Dish is yeah. or what they are. Um, you want so to go Deep into this? Deep Dish are a Grammy award-winning music <laughs> production and DJ team. Um, they got together in about 1992 
uh, where they started DJ locally in Washington, D.C., and then slowly they started putting out productions that the likes of like Madonna and Michael Jackson and the Rolling Stones noticed. And overnight, they just kind of blew up and um, flew to, you know, England to do a show. And that show, blew, you know, England was so important at the time in terms of electronic dance music. And um, then New York wanted them in L.A. And it just, you know, it just turned into this huge roller coaster ride that lasted for a long time. <laughs> so I was part of building. Why did they think to bring you on? What, what was, what was the, the catalyst that got you involved? I think that, so my, you know, my brother's one half of Deep Dish and um, his, the other half, uh, the production half also, his name is uh, Sharam, but they're co-producers. I don't know. I think they just thought that since I liked business and I was good at it, that I could bring some sort of normalcy and standard operating procedures to their sort of peripatetic, frenetic world. And um, they also saw that I was interested in music, but also I liked the business side. So I think the two uh, parallels of those were attracted to them. You weren't even in your mid-20s at this point. No, I was 24. Because I remember trying to, I, I started a business about that same age and I just was yeah. not mature enough to have kept it going as long as you did. Uh, I needed- Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. But I by no means um, think that I was fully prepared for it because I, I just didn't know any differently. But having said that, I did a lot of internships and I had great mentors at internships that had taught me things along the way. Like, you know, I think it was John Hendricks who founded Discovery Channel. He, he wasn't a mentor, but when I did an internship at Discovery Channel, I learned a lot from him. And then there was a senior vice president there. I don't recall his name anymore, but he was kind of a great guide at the time. Um, and then at the Speakers Bureau, I got to work with the president there. And, you know, these people really taught me and helped me along the way. Um, so that I had some sort of basis of how to run a business or think about business. Um, and I had some experience. That's, but, that's wonderful to have, especially, I mean, you were in a situation where you were surrounded by partying and I was in many different ways that you could have I gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you seem to have kept yourself grounded enough to have made it work though. Whereas I think a lot of, a lot of other people went, went off uh, the wrong end too far. Yeah, you know, a lot of people that I started uh, in this business with, they're not around anymore. Um, many went to rehab, many burned out, many had issues with substance abuse. Some of them just, um, just didn't really like the constant grind. I don't know, I was always the one that left the party early because I was so focused on the next show you know, because I was accountable. So I wanted to, I had to leave. I had to go back to the hotel early. I had to, you know, this was sometimes before we had email. I think we just faxed maybe. It's like, it was like 2000, 1999, 2000. You might've had AOL. You might've been yeah, saying. No, yeah, there were no like Blackberries at the time. No, no. Pretty new. So, um, and I was working multiple time zones. So there was always work. There was always something to be done. So while everyone went and partied, I, I was the one that would go back and make sure that like 
all the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted. And I wanted to make sure that the tour and the next show went well, because ultimately it, you know, was my ass that was on the line. Right. Well, that took some uh, amazing discipline on your, on your side. So congrats, pat yourself on the back for that. Cause I think uh, the seldom few would have made it through, especially at the age of 20. Yeah. And I saw an end game. I wanted to, you know, I, I love the business part of it. Um, I just, I was never like a party guy and there were, you know, it's interesting. Some people saw that as, I wouldn't call it a negative, but they just saw it is not appealing when someone represented them. You know, I could hang out, but I just was not like the super party guy. And now the same people that maybe wrote me off are like, oh, can I work with you? Because I'm serious about your business. But I think the perception now is that if you're going to work with me, you have to be very serious about your career. Okay. Yeah, well, give them a second chance. Cause I know if you had met me or I mean, we knew each other, but if, you, if we had stayed friends in the 24 year range, you would have yeah. <laughs> wasn't as mature as I am now. Uh, so how did you roll this into the bullet agency? The name or um, just working with uh, your brother with deep dish. I take, so I don't take credit for the name bullet. It came from, um, Ali or Sharam from Deep Dish, they really were big fans of Steve McQueen. Um, but I didn't have some big master plan. Uh, I just, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, I'm sure you know him, and he talks about like hustle. And, you know, I had hustle, but I didn't have this strange big calculus about where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. I just knew that I wanted to do great shows and put them on great tours. And I, I in retrospect, I realized everything I did was very organic. And I always, um, I had a lot of work, but I always wanted to work with people that I liked, that I wanted to have dinner with. So slowly the guys would recommend other people for me to work with, or they saw what I was doing for the deep dish guys. And they said, oh, I want to work with this guy, Rosh. You know, I was like the, the, the fresh new kid, right? And the shiny new object in our industry is very exciting for some people. So I think people were curious about what I was doing and what the company was doing. And um, so they wanted to be a part of it. So I'd slowly signed a few more DJs and then I needed an assistant and then I needed another assistant. And then my assistant was motivated to a junior agent to work under me. And then I, you know, hired a director of operations and somebody helped with accounting. And it was, it was just these organic steps to lay the framework of the business. It wasn't this calculated strategy to open all of these offices all at once. So it, it almost sounds like it organically grew into a business. Uh, you you weren't even meaning to create a business at the time. How I wanted to, so at the time I didn't know if it, if it was something I wanted to do forever. I knew it was something that I wanted to do and I wanted to try and be successful and good at. But I I, I really enjoyed it and I really loved it and it was high, highly competitive, hyper competitive. Um, and really, really? Or the, there were a lot of other agencies oh, yeah. at the same time. And they would poach your clients. Yeah. They would do whatever. Yeah. <laughs> what are, what are some big mistakes that you can remember making along the way? I, I know I have a uh, dozen of my. Yeah. And you learn from those mistakes. I think some of the mistakes I made was that I was too accommodating that I didn't. And this is what I tell so many people who um, work for me who I try to give advice to when they're dealing with difficult clients, I was always afraid to say no, because I was afraid that this person maybe didn't, wouldn't have liked me or, um, 
I wasn't accommodating enough. I mean, I wanted to do client service, but I never drew the line between client service and abuse. And I felt like there were times where I was definitely taken advantage of and abused because of my lack of experience and my youth. So the mistakes I made, I, I, I believe, are not realizing that time is a commodity that you never get back. And I wasted a lot of time on certain clients that would never change, thinking that I could change them or change their habits. But what's, what's a, for instance, of, a, of an abusive client or somebody who just- An abusive client, one that you would, you know, would constantly drop the ball, miss their flights, and, you know, stay up all night partying and not, you know, meet their gig or do their tour. Um, being treated a certain, being mistreated, which happens a lot in the entertainment business. Um, so I, I think it's, it's setting those boundaries and saying no. I think that's one of the mistakes I made. The second thing that I realized in my leadership was giving, buying somebody lunch or giving them a cookie <laughs> or doing a nice gesture doesn't make you a good manager. And so I made the mistake in my leadership of not doing the upfront investment in coaching and really listening to my team in the beginning because I was so busy, but I thought, you know, like, taking them out to dinner or like buying, you know, treating everybody to Starbucks every day made me a good boss. And so when I got 360 degree feedback, that was one of the things I heard is like, Oh, you're nice. And you buy us like lunch, but that doesn't necessarily equate to what I need for my job. Right. You weren't giving them the mentorship that was so valuable yeah. to you. When yeah. You mm -hmm. Yeah. I know you've made a big deal about that now. And I, I liked something you had said to me uh, off camera uh, that, that your employees allow you to stand on their shoulders. I think that was how you said it. Like you're. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, in retrospect, 20 years back, I stand on the shoulders of former team members and current team members. And I couldn't do what I do without them. I mean, I'm here doing a podcast with you and, many of my team have been furloughed at this point because the electronic music business is put right now, but they're still working and they're still looking for new clients. And, uh, they, you know, they're amazing. And I always acknowledge that and I treat them in a certain way that perhaps I would have liked to be treated when I was, when I was their age or starting out. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think, I think you can be successful, but I, don't believe you can be sex successful without uh, acknowledging the people that got you to where you are. What has, uh, you mentioned that some are furloughed right now. What yeah. has COVID, I wasn't going to get to this so soon, but it's kind of fitting in right now. What has COVID done to your business? Because it's, it's mostly live events, right? Yeah, I mean, we do 200 events a month and right now we're doing zero. <laughs> so what does that mean? Is there just no business? Going there's, no, there's no events happening. And what happened in March is we rescheduled events to July, thinking that by July things would subside. Um, but since they were unable to quell, you know, the virus and how it's just grown exponentially, everything was moved to September. Well, September happened, and now we're in mid-October. Uh, people are rescheduling to December, and some people have just given up and, and said, you know what, we're not going to schedule until April of 2021. So you have the events business, the concert business, the movie business, so many businesses that rely, the restaurant business, but so many businesses that rely on feet in the door, unable 
to, um, to recover right now or work. Right. And we wonder which ones are going to ever recover and which ones can. Yeah. Uh, have you, have you been able to, uh, uh, fill any of the loss of income with, with something else with, with the bulletin agency or, uh, we've done, you know, I don't like the word pivot. Everyone gave me advice when this happened and I can't tell you how many people said, Oh, well you just need to pivot. Right. And for many people who have been doing this business for so long, or, you know, if you're a DJ, you can do production, but how exactly do you pivot into touring income? Well, you can do streaming, but the revenue that you earn in streaming is nothing compared to what you earn um, touring. And as the record business has evolved, people don't make money on sales of records anymore. It's just streaming or touring. That's why you constantly see, acts touring you know you're somebody tours and then a year later you're like oh wow they're back on tour again because that's the way they they really make their money these days so it's been a challenge in our business yeah we're looking we're trying there's brand partnerships and brand sponsorships and there's some streaming opportunities um but as far as live events that was the bread and butter of our business and the live business right right it's uh uh, and like we talked about earlier, I mean, it just, you know, that feeds into so many other businesses that you would yeah. uh, be thinking about. I mean, Broadway um, is suffering as well. I just saw on the news today and, and I don't think Broadway is coming back until July of next year at the earliest. Oh, wow. They've already announced that that far out. Yeah. yeah. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I don't think we're going to see normalcy until about then as well. Yeah. So. It's so my second scene has been covering, you know, the dad duties with my kids while my wife is working. <laughs> so would you have the coolest names, River and Rumi? River and Rumi, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How has that been, going from a, a businessman working every day to... You know, it's strange. So many people also thought I would stop working when I had twins. But I'm like, how do you stop working when you have kids? Because there are so many expenses involved with having kids. You actually have to work harder. Having kids has been the greatest joy of my life. Uh, it's just, you know, I can't, and I, and as you know, I just can't um, underscore how much I love them and love being a dad um, and being able to shape and learn. And it's almost, it's almost the equivalent of like starting your childhood from scratch, especially when you have a son. I love them equally, but when you have a son who's, who looks like you, it's almost like you're, you're starting out life again through their eyes. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and everything is just much more fun, you know, the holidays or Halloween or Christmas. But back to your question, I feel like when you become a parent, your time becomes so limited and you have to have this sort of laser focus. And, you, and the stuff that you would tolerate in the past, you just don't and you just won't because you know your time is so valuable. You have this small window during the day to get your work done before you have to parent. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's one thing that's changed me, but also it's created again, boundaries um, for me that, you know, I'm not constantly on my phone doing work emails, um, you know, eating dinner. I actually try to be present. It's made me value presence and become more present. That which I had a lot of trouble with before. That's a very difficult thing to do. It's hard to turn off and, and shut yeah. down. And we just looked at our wedding video for fun um, and many years ago, but there's a part of the video right before I'm walking down the aisle, I'm 
furiously text, you know, sending an email message. And I was laughing because I remembered I was booking talent for Coachella minutes before I'm about to walk down the aisle to marry my wife. So. Oh, wow. I mean, did you walk down the aisle and have to check the email back again? To see oh, no. I mean, I gave the phone to my brother. But uh, <laughs> I use that example to my, my younger team because I said, look, you know, the hustle doesn't stop. So that's, that's the saying in, in the business, right? Yeah, I still have a hard time um, turning it off. I, I know I have stuff going on in business right now that I'm dying to look at the emails. And it's my son's I birthday. Feel, <laughs> I feel the same way. It's always going to be there. If it's super urgent, somebody will call you. But I, I understand that pull, that tug. Because there are times when I'm with my kids and I'm like, oh, God, I need to check an email right now. You know, what is going on? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So do you, you and your wife are also essentially social influencers and tastemakers. Do you do this together or is it separate? I loved cars and I started just photographing pictures of cars that I really liked. And some of the brands started, you know, I started tagging the brands or they would, they would saw them like BMW saw um, pictures I took and then somebody from the director of communications and marketing reached out to me and said, Hey, you took really cool pictures. Can we repost it and tag you? And I'm, I said, sure. And the next morning I woke up and I had all these new followers and then Bentley saw it and Bentley said, Oh, can, if we give you a car, will you photograph it? And then BMW said, Oh, if we give you a car, will you photograph it and put it on your socials? And then other brands like Neiman Marcus saw pictures that I did with my wife or my kids. Um, and because my wife was already a, a, a influencer um these opportunities just came again organically it wasn't it wasn't planned it wasn't something that we set out to do and but people take pictures of themselves with cars every day and they don't get yeah. noticed or, or asked or how did you i don't know i think i've read so many car magazines i get like three or four car magazines a month i've gotten them since like the 80s and i guess maybe i photograph cars in a different way or a way a photographer photographed a car as opposed to just somebody who hasn't really had that, I don't know, experience photographing a car or whatever. And um, yeah, so they just like the photos and it, it just, and then, you know, when you work with one brand, another brand sees it and they want to work with you. And, and then I, I had people starting, started brands starting to reach out to me directly um, and asking if they want to work and collaborate. Okay. You have any advice for anyone who wants to be a social influencer? Well, it's definitely a crowded field and the word influencer has such a bad connotation. I don't love it. Yeah. I like digital marketer. <laughs> um, I think the most important thing is build your community and engage, right? If you like a certain brand, uh, if you like, you know, a certain restaurant, um, tag them, uh, put them in your stories, engage with them, and they'll start to get to know you. And then eventually maybe they'll follow you back. They'll invite you to an event. Um, it's a lot more challenging now because the space is so crowded. So it's, it's hard to um, get through the clutter. But if you genuinely believe in a brand and you like them, I would you know, reach out, send a direct message, um, come up with a creative idea to incorporate them in just a post. So for them, it's free marketing. Right, right, right. So is there, is there a distinct difference in your mind between uh, digital marketing and social? Well, isn't, you know, social media is one part of digital marketing, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
But the way brands now speak to their audience is primarily through social media platforms, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's Facebook, but it seems like Instagram and at, to some extent TikTok are ways that brands are, are reaching their consumers. Oh, yeah, I know that modeling as an industry is really almost not there anymore. It's falling apart because uh, you almost need a social, a, a social uh, following in order yeah. to be a model. Period. Yeah, I have some friends that are models and, and now they look at their social media following before they get work. It's mm-hmm. happening in, in the DJ business as well. They want to see certain DJs with a large following um, so that they can prove that they're a ticket seller in that particular event. God, it reminds me of getting like my first waitering job. You needed to be a waiter before you waitered for the first time. The uh-huh. manager came over to me. She was like, you've never waitered before in your life, have you? <laughs> <laughs> did that job last very long? Uh, I did it for about seven, eight months. That was pretty good. But yeah, it was a step up from my yogurt serving job that you know. I remember, yeah. I used to hit you up for free yogurt all the time. Yeah, yeah I would never have given away free yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying you gave it to me, but I did hit you up. <laughs> I am Persian after all. My people want deals, you know? <laughs> so going back to your, your business, you've yeah. been, you can recognize uh, a lot of great magazines. Uh, yeah. uh, Entrepreneur, uh, Inc., Washington Journal. Uh, what's that like? like how does that, that's, is that something you were shooting for? They just came yeah, No, it's not something that like feeds my, you know, ego in any way the only thing that makes me happy honestly about that is that it thrills my mom she loves it she saves all of them it makes her proud you know um but if if i can do that and teach someone or guide them you know or there's a certain takeaway that inspires them then i'm happy but it's not you know it's not it's not something it's nice to be acknowledged for your work of course but it's it's not like an ultimate goal to get in those. So yeah, it's I would like to be on the cover of time though. I mean, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen, but that's pretty cool. You could just tell people that you were in. Yeah. <laughs> like Trump. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're the men's health journal. I'm yeah. guessing you got into that. I, I know you're very health conscious. You're, you're always at the gym. Mm-hmm. I believe you're into meditation and yoga. Yeah. When did you, when did you start this? You know, I've always loved doing something outdoors, whether it was hiking or running or biking or, you know, and then I just got really got into working out. I'm not one of those people that is in the gym every day. I just like to get a good sweat. I have a lot of nervous energy too. And as you know, when you run your own business, there's a lot of stress. So for me, it's a way to really start the day, get energy, reset. And then when you become a parent, or even if you're not a parent, it's that one sort of half an hour or 45 minutes that you have to yourself. Um, and so I believe that if you're strong inside and if you feel good inside, it reflects on your outside. I know that sounds cliche, but I always feel good after a run or a workout. Do you, do you take any of this into, uh, I know you give speeches sometimes on uh, motivational speaking, professional speaking. Do you bring this into those? I have, I haven't been asked that much about it, but when I um, have spoken at like various industry conferences, I talk about, especially in the entertainment industry, but I've been talking a lot more about the intersection of spiritual mental health um, with happiness and 
sort of um, being able to manage um, your professional career in, in a way that makes you productive and makes you enjoy and work um, in, you know, in, and have a certain process where you don't burn out, where you're not constantly on that hamster wheel. Gotcha. It can be lonely too. You're constantly traveling on an airplane. You're alone. You know, uh, if you're a, a singer or a DJ, you play for hundreds of thousands or thousands of people, and then you go to an empty hotel room and you go to bed and do it the next day. So, how prevalent is uh, mental health issues in the industry? Uh, well, you know, I'm sure you've heard of the DJ Avicii. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he sadly passed away. He had challenges with mental health. Um, and I, I guess people in our industry didn't acknowledge it and didn't see it. And, you know, his, his death was tragic. And um, it's, it took that for people to start talking about it and talking about their issues with mental health. And fortunately, the more people that talk about it, you know, um, and share their stories, um, then it maybe is less stigmatized. So I, you know, it's not something I really talk about because I don't have challenges with mental health, but I was able to do, uh, an interview with a DJ, um, Nikki Romero, and we were supposed to talk about his career and he's a very big talent, but it evolved into, a long discussion about his challenges with anxiety and, and, um, and how he, you know, dealt with the challenges of it. Right. Yeah. I'm very familiar with mental health issues. I think having the, the mind that I do, <laughs> I'm in and out of a uh, mental health. Well, I think now more than ever, and I would, you know, maybe it's not a mental health issue that people have, but I've had times where I just don't feel good that I, um, I'm not excited about what I'm doing or what I was doing, or I feel overwhelmed, you know, and we're in the middle of this pandemic. People are stuck at home all the time. They're losing their jobs. Um, They're struggling financially. So they're susceptible to some sort of anxiety or, you know, issue, you know, with mental health. No doubt about it. Almost every small business owner that I know at some point feels lonely yeah. or feels trapped or uh, yeah, it just feels like they're, yeah, they're, they're on their own. There's, there's so many big decisions to be made and yeah. it, it slowly rests on your back. So it's hard to, it's hard to avoid that. I, and I see mental health in, in there's, you know, there's one way that people have legitimate mental health issues, but there's other people that may not have um, a mental health diagnosis, but they have certain symptoms that may mirror a mental health issue. They might have a, constant worry or anxiety, or they may run their own business and they may get lonely and depressed because that all they do is work. Right. And right. they, you know, and they get the blues, for example, they may not have a mental health issue, but they may have a challenge, um, that, um, really pushes them mentally. Right. 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 Well, I woke up this morning and ran two miles with my 10 year old son. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. And I went to the gym for half an hour in my basement. So I, I know, I know what that does for me. Yeah. It's uh, it, it, without, without that on almost daily basis, yeah. I am much more of a mess. So, <laughs> <Right> <laughs> so lastly, uh, your documentary yeah. above ground, above ground level film. Yeah. So it's called Above Ground Level. I don't know if you had a chance to look at the trailer, um, but it's AboveGroundLevelFilm.com. 
that was kind of fun. That was actually my brother's idea. And we thought it would be interesting to document um, his career and the genesis of his career over the last two decades. And I got a chance to travel with him um, around the world. And for two years, we just documented shows. We did interview some really interesting DJs like David Guetta. I've known David Guetta for 20 years, but I've never sat down with him and interviewed him. And that was a lot of fun or, um, or even interviewing my brother, getting a chance to do that because I've never sort of sat down and interviewed him as an artist or interview my parents and talk about their journey and what it was like for them to have a son who, you know, Iranian culture definitely wants you to be a doctor or an attorney and what it took for them to acquiesce and, uh, and, and just say, okay, we're going to support, you know, their, or my brother, their son's passion to go into music because it was really always in the cards for him. He was always into music. Gotcha. Um, very, very interesting. And, and um, yeah, I, I can't, uh, my parents went through similar things with my brother and I and what they expected out of us. Yeah. Um, so I, I understand that. Um, but you guys have been super successful, so I'm sure that they could not have been prouder. Yeah. As I'm sure your parents are with you and may your brother's memory be a blessing. I, I know that he was, um, he, he was very important in your life. So. Yeah, he definitely was. So, and again, mental health issues. So it's something we all, we all know someone who goes through it if we're not going through it ourselves. Yeah. But um, not to end on a sour note. <laughs> it's been great talking to you, Arash. I think this is like the longest that we've chatted in I know. 20 years. So it's very cool and strange, but also, you know, pretty brilliant to see you in this, in this um, second scene. I mean, I, I'm really impressed. I'm proud of you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I always, uh, I've, I've looked up to you for a long time and oh. respected what you've done and uh, really been impressed. Ain't higher than me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I will. Don't worry. <laughs> no, you, you definitely, you, you, you're definitely someone who stands out and, and uh, yeah, I've always had, I've always had huge respect for you. And oh, Thank you. Likewise. Well, this has been second scene with me, Michael. Thank you, Arash. Uh, you can check out his documentary at AboveGroundLevelFilm.com or check out Arash at ArashEdit.com. That's A-R-A-S-H-E-D-I-T.com. And if you want any more no-nonsense advice or free one-on-one -on -one mentorship in any area, from resume writing to mental health, send a request to DweebsGlobal.org. We will pair you with a mentor today. So, thank you. Thank you.